Welcome to another Q&A session here live on the Spotify Green Room app for Pride of Detroit. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the co-host of this and your editor-in-chief at prideofdetroit.com. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. Um, with me, as always, I have two fantastic co-hosts of this show. First off, we got the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, Eric Schlitt, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric, buddy, good morning. Good morning. I opened my day with some Barry Sanders highlights, so I am ready to go. Love it. Love it. And our other co-host, a fine, fine senior editor of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. It's Ryan Matthews. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Hello. I I, I opened this intro without saying how are you guys doing for both of them. I, Do you feel I, no, slighted? No, no, that felt measured, and I, I was <laughs> I was definitely going to bring it to your doorstep, but you didn't even bring it to mine. So I now, I, yeah, I, I feel a little I feel a little irked. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, I just I wanted to switch things up and see how how they sounded, and it, it clearly derailed things from the beginning already. And it didn't, and you didn't even give Eric the shout out. Eric with a K, no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, you know what? I, I trust our fans at this point. We I have gone over it enough times that if you're still spelling his name with a C, all hope is lost for you. <laughs> Look, I also set you up with a segue to talk about Ryan's terrific Barry Sanders article that we oh. revisited last night. Eric, or yesterday. stop. Yep. Stop it, you. <laughs> all right. Well, if this is your first time listening or joining us live, we do a live Q&A show, much like a radio talk uh, call-in talk show type of thing, uh, but we do it live here on the Spotify Greenroom app, which is available on all mobile devices, whether Android or Apple. Um, but um, we're, we're two weeks away from training camp exactly today um, in terms of the first open practice. Um, so I have to imagine uh, excitement is starting to rise in the Lions uh, fandom. Um, it certainly is with me, and I know it is with Eric. I'm sure it is with Ryan, too. I haven't checked in. I'm going to check in with Ryan really quick. Are you? Is excitement building for you? excitement is reaching a fever pitch as the kids would say these days. Um, I, I mean, I, I had the Saturday open thread today and it was just like, what intrigues you most about the, about the Detroit lions. And it's just about like, honestly, what intrigues me the most is the excitement around it. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. Yep. Love it. All right. Well, you know who else, who else is ready to go? Uh, the people in our, our chat here. And we, we got a bunch of people ready to chat. So let's bring in our first guest. We've got Robert on the line. Robert, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys doing today? Great. Great. Awesome. Um, so my question, uh, it's a little bit of a two-parter um, regarding the wide receivers um, and our offensive model for this year and kind of moving forward. Um, just thinking about it and it may have been mentioned on another show i kind of see our offense this year maybe looking similar to what the 49ers are running uh just based on kind of the tight end focus and running game focus um but i was also read uh one of jeff risden's articles this week about the wide receiving core and um maybe it being a weakness um I think we all know it's a weakness, but them not addressing it that much this year. So I'm also curious to know what you guys think the kind of second phase of the plan would be for wide receivers, like maybe go after a veteran free agent and kind of use some of that stashed up cap money um, or try and keep building that position through the draft. Good question, Robert. Yeah, I think wide receiver is obviously one of the most uh, talked about and concerned uh, positions on the roster right now and and yeah the future is obviously important there because most of the guys they got are only signed to a one-year deal so let, let's start with with the 49ers thing because I think that's an interesting comparison and certainly catches my intention since I'm I'm a big Kyle Shanahan guy uh, Eric do you think that's a fair assessment of maybe what the the Lions are going to try to do on offense uh, you know what it's it it's hard to tell right um, yeah. uh, because it, I think they have a – my, my concept is that they're going to use outside receivers on the outside to try and free up stuff in the slot because most of their talent is in the slot. That's where their long-term investments are. Um, so I do think that, yeah, there's there's this idea of just trying to stretch the field with the outside guys um, and then – you know, lean on Hawkinson, lean on St. Saint Brown. Um, you know, you've got two talented running backs as well. So um, – 
but again, it's it's everything's been very vanilla through through uh, the spring camps. So we really don't have a full concept uh, beyond. Uh, so I don't know. It's 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 hard to it's hard to really project. I think right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, obviously, we haven't seen anything out of out of minicamp in terms of scheme and things like that. When you know you're not even running the ball at all. But Ryan, do you have kind of a, an idea of, of of or maybe I guess a a blueprint of what you want it to look like on on offense? Uh, ideally, it looks something along the lines of what New Orleans was able to do when they had that powerful backfield with Ingram and Kamara. Um, sure. And you know, I think initially that's why. I think we initially got that idea when, you know, the Lions were so aggressive in, in signing Josh Hill, um, because that was one of, you know, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell's like early moves um in free agency where we felt like, oh, okay, like we're heading in this direction. And um so I, I think we you know, we've talked about it before, but we think that there's, you know, obviously the Lions are gonna be real heavy in twelve personnel. Um I think when you start talking about what you know the 49ers do you're looking at an offense that heavily heavily features a fullback because they have one of the best in the league in Kyle Juszczyk or Juszczyk so like yeah um I I'm hoping that it looks more similar though to to that Saints model as I mentioned you know um either 12 personnel or maybe even flipping it into like 22 personnel um you know you know two running backs on the field that's something that we're excited about in detroit with swift and and williams so um maybe uh maybe they can make use of that a little bit too but i think by the end of the season you'll see that the lions are uh at the top of the league in terms of 12 personnel usage and let's tackle the second part there the the future of the wide receiver position um do you think they're they're kind of I don't know, crossing their fingers and hoping one of these these free agent additions this year uh, becomes a bigger thing and, and they can re-sign him? Do you think they, they you know, go back to the well early in next year's draft? I know I know it's really early to start projecting what they're going to do in next year's draft, but um, obviously there, there's some work to do uh, in terms of building for the future there. So what do, what do you guys think the, the plan is there? Yeah, I, well, I'll, I'll take this first. Um, I, I think... I think when it comes to Detroit's approach at, at wide receiver, don't you guys feel like this offseason it was really determined by the situation that the Lions found themselves in when it comes when it came to the cap situation? I I, I don't think that it's going to be always uh, bargain bin hunting. I guess right. um, as a way to describe it, uh, I, I think that eventually you'll see the Lions invest, you know, draft capital, um, which they have an, an ample amount of when you consider that they have, uh, you know, the Rams next two first round draft picks. Um, I, I, I think that, I, I think that there's going to be opportunities for the Lions to be aggressive in the draft doing that. Um, if they're looking for top end talent, which they obviously could find themselves in search of after this season. So, um, it, it'll be interesting to see, though, and, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what Eric thinks in terms of whether or not the Lions will be more aggressive in pursuing free agents when it comes to the wide receiver position. Yeah, and my guess, like, uh, as far as long-term goes, is that you've got two young receivers under contract next year, and then that's really it. You've got St. Brown and, and, and Cephas. And, and right now, those that's your starting slot and, and probably your fourth wide receiver, right? Um, so my guess is that they're hoping to see something out of Williams or Perryman, and then they could turn around and sign one of those guys. And if they can't, then they're going to have to go back into the free agent well. And then additionally, if they get one of those guys or another free agent, then they can go back to the draft. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean – they're going to get a guy in the first round. Like it's possible. We've, we 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 learned from the draft video that they're not ruling out a tight. Uh, um, I'm sorry, wide receiver early, but they're also willing to wait. Like remember when Sheila turned to to Brad Holmes and was yeah. like, "When are we going to get a receiver?" And he's like, "Look, we got this, and we got this, and then we got this." Right? And they were willing to just wait, and they knew the value of their guy. So if they re-sign a guy or add a guy in free agency and then draft another one. Well, you've got four receivers and that's really how you kind of set the table. Right. And so 
a year from now, you they may end up having their kind of core four, but beyond that, and then you can kind of fill in with like you know more of you know your bargain bin guys trying to fill out who's five, who's six, get your specialists um, in, in the mix as well. So I, I think this kind of tryout thing that we're seeing right now is mostly um, to try and see if they can re-sign a guy, and if not, they'll to go back to the free agency. Well. It's it's really interesting to me the looking at like the Lions draft strategy, you know, only one year in because one thing I remember hearing early on, and I think it was Chris Spielman who said it, it was like maybe the NFL today is built more from the outside in than the inside out. Right. And then you and then they go out in the draft and they they get three defensive linemen with their first three picks and and like you said like you, we saw the video of them saying you know what, we can wait on wide receiver and maybe that was more of a draft class specific thing where this was a particularly deep class at wide receiver and it wasn't and at interior defense defenders um um, but it's it's just kind of interesting to kind of put those two together and and listen the sample size is just too small at this point to really make any sort of sweeping conclusions uh about brad holmes and and maybe even his roster building philosophy but i have to imagine no matter what happens this year or in free agency next year wide receiver is going to be at least on the table for, for a day one or day two pick next year, right? Yeah. yeah. Brian and I agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go ahead, I really Chris. want to see uh, Chris Godwin in the Honolulu blue. Oh, Ooh. now you're now you're talking my language, Robert. Um, the, uh, the, the one other thing I wanted to point out was that, you know, the Lions are probably going to get a third round compensatory pick for Kenny Galladay, right? Sure. So, I mean, um, you're looking at, you know, even more draft capital there, and that's more up you know brad holmes and you know his time in la with uh with the rams that's more up their alley right like targeting like the cooper cups of the world and the robert woods and and things like that so um as eric mentioned you know it might not be it might not be a first round pick but at the same time we're talking about a team that was rumored to be interested in trading up to number four to get jamar chase so i mean if they have their if they have their guy and they like him in the first round and I think what's most important, and uh, Jeremy, I think you alluded to this, but like, as long as it's like their guy and it's the right time to make the pick and to take the receiver, um, then I think that Holmes will will capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah, the the, the if you look back at like what Holmes has seen with the Rams, um, they're they're willing to spend day two picks usually early, quicker than they're willing to spend like a first rounder or, or, and then, um, you know, even more than a day three pick, they, they like their value in that two, three range. Right. So last, uh, in 2020, they, when Holmes was still with the team, they drafted me and Jefferson in the second round. Uh, they didn't draft anyone in 19 or 18. Uh, but in 17, they went, they did what they do a lot. Uh, and that's draft back to back, uh, players at a position. They drafted uh, Cooper Cup in the, th- in the third round, and then Josh Reynolds in the fourth round, and then they used both those guys were you know key contributors uh, down their the stretch the last couple of years for them. So like, I don't know you know if if Holmes is going to eventually get to that point where he can start you know taking risks on guys back to back, but if you look at like how they've addressed a uh, receiver in the past, they they're willing to wait for their guy. And, and, and that typically ends up uh, being a day two guy, as opposed to, uh, you know, really pushing for the guy early. But like, like Jeremy just said there, they do seem willing to, uh, to go after guys that they, that they like. All right. Appreciate, appreciate the question, Robert. Uh, good conversation there about wide receivers. Yeah, uh, thanks we'll, guys. Have a good rest of the day. You too, man. Let's jump to our next caller. We got Michael on the line. Michael, how are you doing? Doing great. Uh, I need to apologize for the dog in the background. My neighbor's dog's been barking for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> no worries. We're, we're used to that in our podcast. <laughs> well, I'd like to introduce two new concepts. We know about wins above replacement. But mm-hmm. looking back at the Patricia years, what do you think our wins below replacement are? And then looking, <laughs> looking at Dan Campbell going forward, what about our wins above Patricia? You know, Campbell in Miami <laughs> as a uh, scrub coach, what, what do you go, five and seven with a team of that was unwon at that point in time? I, I, realistic expectation. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, that that's the ultimate question, right? I think everyone is wondering how much of a – how much – difference coaching is going to make and I, I i like this question because it's it's a little topical because we 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 talked about uh we had michael brockers kind of hit the media uh trail this this week and you know he talked about how 
Sean McVay took over a, a what were they four and twelve team uh, led yep. by Jeff Jeff Fisher, and immediately they go eleven and five. And and sure, there's a lot of a roster overturn there. And sure, we're talking about Je- we're talking about Sean McVay, who even though he compares the two, are two very different coaches in the way they at least approach game day. I would say, um, but he said they share kind of the the no ego thing. And and I think we all can agree right now that that Matt Patricia era had players playing underneath what they what expectations maybe not necessarily what what they can do we, we still have to figure that out but below expectation how much can a coaching staff change that in one year do you th- i mean i think expecting a four and 12 to 11 and five turnaround in year one is is maybe a a bit drastic for this team but there are certainly a lot of lines fans especially now after you know hearing dan campbell talk um, you know, seeing the guys that he hired that, that really believe a, a quick turnaround like this is something that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of my favorite um, one of my favorite bits of the Michael Brockers interview that he did with uh, Jim Rome on the Jim Rome show was talking specifically about players left over from that Patricia era. Yeah, and talking about how this coaching staff is just better communicators because they understand because they've been in that position before as players. Right. So I, and I think it's hard to, it's hard to quantify that intangible though. Right. Like it's hard to say like, that's going to translate to X many wins. Right. Um, and, and that's where you get into, you know, the contextualizing that Brockers does where, you know, he's been in that situation where Jeff Fisher you know, not on his seven and nine and eight and eight bullshit, but on his four and twelve, <laughs> right? And and then making that huge jump to eleven and five with Sean McVay. So, I he, th- there was a lot of things working in McVay's favor. I mean, had a transcendent talent at running back. Um, who knows if if DeAndre Swift can can come close to replicating that? But um, it, it it looks different in Detroit. Um, but you know, I. I don't know. I, I, I think that there's something to be said for what Campbell and this coaching staff can do for these players uh, just by letting them be themselves. And that's one of the things that has me most excited about uh, Lions football this year is just seeing all those players left over from the Patricia era that uh, a lot of people either soured on um, because of their of their play or, you know, um, kind of ending up in Patricia's doghouse like somebody like Tracy Walker. And you know, getting a chance to to prove themselves now in in a uh, in a Dan Campbell team. So, if you, what, yeah, I was gonna say it, you led right into my point here, and is that if you want to look at a misuse of a player, look no further further than Tracy Walker. When he was at free safety, he uh, when they used him at free safety, the seventy six percent of his rookie year, he had uh, eighty nine point nine grade from PFF. They reduced that number to forty one percent usage at free safety in year two, and his PFF score dropped to 73.5. Then they reduced that down to 16% in 2020, and he had a 51 grade from PFF. I mean, like, the correlation of, like, them recognizing what's working and what's not and then putting uh, players in situations or removing them from situations is startling. If you put Patricia in, in charge of this current roster – he would win zero games. So every win, <laughs> every win is a win above replacement for the coaching staff. So if you think they're going to win six games, that's it's six six wins above replacement. That's six, yeah. He would win no games with this current uh, roster. Uh, that's kind of that's a bold statement for me. Oh, uh, it's not bold. It is what it is. I mean, like he would not win a game with this staff. Like he had a more talented roster and and just misused them that to the point that he was he won games last year despite him, not because of him. Right? Like I, I, I'm sorry to say, like, but I, I'm so far out on this at this point now. Like I, I'm I'm getting frustrated with, with with the Patricia stuff at this point. And so um, I'm, I'm starting to rant, which is I like fiery Eric. I don't I don't get to see this side of you uh, very often. But here, here's what I'll say about this whole thing is that I get why there are people that, that think this team can turn it around in one year. And, and it, to me, it has nothing to do with the roster because I don't think the roster is good enough for an 11 and five season or 11 and six or whatever it has to be this year. Um, it, it's just that everything feels completely different completely different 
turned on a dime. You know, the, the whole overcorrection thing from from going from Matt Patricia to to Dan Campbell and, and everything like in the way they, they run practice in the way that they talk to the media in the way the players are talking. Everything feels completely different. And and I think the other side of that is exactly what you just said, Eric. Like it feels like this is a coaching staff that is going to use the players in the way that they are best used. And that, that was one of the first things Dan Campbell said is that we're going to try to create mismatches and the way we're going to do that is use players in the way that they're supposed to be used. And and yes, that's something that I think every head coach has ever said in the, in the history of time, but it feels right. It feels real. And, and a lot of these guys have the reputation of actually doing that. I mean, I don't know how many times we can praise Aaron Glenn um, before the guy even, you know, <laughs> defensive coordinates his first NFL game, but he's exactly the guy that comes with that sort of reputation. And so everything feels the opposite of, of how it did before. So you look at a team that was four and 12, you're like opposite 12 and four, we got this. And um, <laughs> I, I think that's, that's a little bit, you know, too much. I still, I mean, I, we, we discussed this week at pride of Detroit. What do you think this team's ceiling is? I think it can be a winning record. I think they can be a nine and eight team, but I think that's if everything goes right in terms of like injuries have to be, you know, at, at an extreme minimum, um, these guys that were expecting to take a year one or a year two jump all go in the positive direction, which isn't usually how it works. But, um, you know, even with all that, I think nine, is, nine and eight is the ceiling. So I, I guess, I guess that's a nine, a nine wins above Patricia record. There. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the, the one other thing I want to say is like, I, I think we keep using this term overcorrection um, yeah. when it comes to, you know, moving on from Matt Patricia and getting somebody like Dan Campbell. I I want to say that by the end of this year, we're not going to call it an overcorrection. We're going to call it an essential adjustment. Ooh. And, and I'm, and I'm saying that because <laughs> what, what I'm hearing all of you, what I'm hearing us say right now is that it's not going to be the coaching staff. That's going to hold this team back, which is the exact opposite of what we've been saying <laughs> yeah. about the Patricia era for the Fair. past couple of years. Like, it's like, you know what? They have Matthew Stafford. You know, if the defense can kind of just do what it needs to do, and the Lions brought in the guy that was supposed to fix the defense, and it didn't happen. You know, I, I think I think what we're going to be saying at the end of this year is, hey, if the Lions just get a couple of players, we we saw what this coaching staff can do. So that's where we're going to be at. I like that essential adjustment. I love that. Lions are words. He's a wordsmith. He is. The world needs editors. He, he proves it every day. Oh, gosh, <laughs> guys, I'm blushing. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for the question, Michael. That was another uh, really good discussion there. We, we went long on two questions, so we got to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to get to the rest of your questions as we head towards training camp just two weeks away. So stick with us right here on the Spotify Greenroom app and the POD cast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back here live on the Spotify Green Room app doing our call-in show every Saturday morning right around 10.30 a.m. Make sure to check prideofdetroit.com on Friday evenings to make sure that we are on schedule. Let's jump right back into the calls. We've got Daniel, not Dan, we've got Daniel on the line. Daniel, how are you doing? Hey, good to be with you again. Hey, Hey, good to hear from you. Yeah, so my question is we don't really, we're in this situation where where you really don't have any information. So my question is, uh, what kinds of questions are you at, uh, do you have in mind going into training camp? Obviously, I mean, we're, we're you know, everybody's curious about uh, who makes the team and, and who's going to be in, in what role. But um, I'm interested in like, you know, what what are you looking for in the in terms of scheme and in terms of how players are used? And, and, I, and I'll just sort of. Like my particular interest is in 
for instance, is in how they're going to use Penny Sewell, um, uh, you know, as a like how well he blacks out in space is one of the things that you hear about him. So I'm curious, you know, how the scheme might reflect that, um, uh, you know, sending him out as a run blocker or screen, you know, uh, blacking on, on, on screen passes. So I'm just wondering if there's anything else like that that you're looking at um, in, in terms of, you know, uh, what's the scheme going to be? How are we how are we going to, you know, use these particular you know, the particular players and what their strengths are. Yeah. And then before we get into that, I, I think, I think you're right on the money with Sewell. Like um, when we were talking to our, our, our Oregon guy at, uh, on, on first bite, one of the things I asked him was like, it kind of seems like they were running plays for Penny Sewell so that he can get out in space and block. And, and I'm curious if the Lions are going to do that right off the bat or if they're going to kind of let him settle in first, but yeah, let's, let's throw it to, to everyone else out there. Um, Eric, you seem ready to go with, with questions about scheme that you want answered in the first yeah. couple of weeks of training camp. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, there are a litany of questions that we have uh, that we are want answered. Look, before we, we got into July, you and I sat down and made a list of uh, things we wanted to learn just about the roster. Right. And we had like 25 different things that we could have <laughs> wrote articles on. I mean, like legitimately, yeah. uh, 25 different things that we were like, we could write articles on these. And and we're having to combine them together uh, in our roster preview series and stuff. But like there, that's not even including scheme. Like the, the scheme questions are, are – there's probably just as many. Like there's so much that we want to learn about this uh, team right now. It's – it's you you almost like are not going to get them all answered. No matter – as much information as we get in training camp, like in, in one practice is like a week's worth of information. We're still going to be asking questions I think four weeks into it. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, the biggest questions for me as far as scheme are are, are going to be more uh, offensive related, right? Mm. I think we've we've kind of seen um a blueprint of what they're going to be basing their defense off of. They've talked about modeling it off the Rams. They've talked about bringing in uh, split zone concepts uh, from, from the saints in the secondary. And so they've given us a lot of information and, and it translates, I think well to the, how they've, you know, uh, put the players out on the field in spring camp so far. So I, I actually think defense is, is not going to be as complicated or is not as much of a mystery as the offense is because the offense, like you said earlier, has been very vanilla. We really haven't got to see a whole lot and there's so many different directions that they can go. Uh, the offense is really like way up in the air for exactly how it's going to run. And, and that's the interesting, you know, thing to me because I mean, look at, look at, uh, Andrew Cato wrote in the notes, uh, a really good article in the notes yesterday talking about Ken Jared Goff, um, throw off script because that's something that he wasn't asked to do. And we've, uh, you know, speculated that they're going to create the offense around his strengths, but can he prove to expand his game? And so that's, there's just so many different things that, uh, that I'm curious about. Ryan, anything in particular that, that you're dying to have answered? Well, I, I think real quick to, to the point that Eric made, um, you know, with all the talk about replicating what the Rams, you know, do on, on the defensive side of the ball and, and things like that. And we saw the Lions draft, right? And it was so defensive heavy that, like, we were able to take that information, take the players that they drafted and say, oh, okay, now I kind of understand what's going on. On offense, the Lions drafted a right tackle, which they needed, and... That I mean, like, what else? I mean, they wide, got they got they got a, a running receiver. back and a wide receiver that fit in the slot that they needed. Right. You know what I mean? So it was one of those things where it's like we can't really glean too much. Like if 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 the Lions had like moved up and gotten Jamar Chase, well, it's like okay, well now we can maybe start talking about like what they want to do with with their outside receivers and things like that. But um, I, I don't think that there there's too much that we could glean now. I I, I want to echo back to what we talked about last week, and you know Eric and and you Jeremy pointing out when it comes to training camp, it in terms of information, it's like drinking from a fire hose because like it's just there's yeah. there's too much, and I, I think that Eric's spot on. Like we're going to be through the preseason, and we're going to still be learning things about this team into the first couple of weeks in terms of what they want to do with, the, with their scheme and things like that. But to, to Daniel's point, when it just comes to Sewell, 
I hope they tap into as much of his athleticism as possible, whether or not they're bouncing things out, outside of him or whether or not they're setting up screens with either Hawkinson or maybe putting, you know, uh, you know, motioning Swift out into the, into the flat or, you know, lining him up in the slot and, you know, running some screenplays to his side. Like that, that's, I don't know. I, I, I think with this offense, particularly like, just in terms of its identity because of golf, because of the things that Eric pointed out, um, you know, from Andrew's article about whether or not golf's able to kind of freestyle and extend plays and things like that. I think you're going to see like a real East and West concept when it comes to receivers more so than North and South. And that's something that's going to be a little bit of an adjustment from the Matthew Stafford era. I want to throw things over the defense for a second here, because while, while I'm with you guys that I think we have a good idea of what the scheme is going to look like, the one thing I'm still curious about is strategic wise, how are they going to, you know, find unique, unique ways to, to bring pressure? Because I feel like mm, we're going to see yeah. more of that this year. Um, we, I, we were all dying for more blitzes and I think we eventually got some towards the end of last year, but I have a sneaking suspicion and, and Eric and I even saw a little bit of this during mini camp that, you know, I can't probably get into too many details on yet. I want to see way, creative ways they, they design either blitzes or, or pass rushes or ways that they prioritize that with their defense. And again, maybe we're not going to get that kind of strategic look in, in training camp. Maybe they, they try to hide that stuff. They'll certainly try to hide it, I think, uh, in the preseason, which again, like I, I think people might be forgetting how valuable the preseason is, having not had it last year. I'm very excited for the preseason this year. Because we're we're actually going to see like them go against another team at the beginning of a you know a, a new regime. Like I, I think I'm I'm more excited for the preseason I think than I've ever been. But to me, I, I just want to see you know aside from you know their their base three four looks aside from getting pressure from from their edge guys and and you know some of their new DTs are, are better at that. Where where are they going to generate pressure? Where are they going to confuse the offensive line? And uh, and get to the quarterback. Yeah, this uh, th- this might be me peeling back the curtain a little bit too much because Eric might have the answer to this question already. But like you look around at some of the other defenses in the league in terms of generating pressure, like the Baltimore Ravens, for example, they use their uh, you know or or the Buffalo Bills, like either of those teams, like they use their secondary as uh, as a way to scheme up some pressure and things like that. And that's something that we really didn't see that often in the Patricia era. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd be curious to, to see whether or not uh, the, the just to dive into some of the numbers and see what the Rams did in terms of how they dialed up pressure. Yeah, the, most of the Rams sacks came actually from their interior defense. Well, that's because Aaron Donald's um, a oh, 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 <laughs> Right. Uh, but, but, like, Brockers had five sacks last year. Yeah. Um, Morgan Fox, who was one of their rotational D, uh, DNs as well, he had six um, so, and then, you know, you, of course, Leonard Floyd had like over 10, right? So you're still getting your edge guys, uh, as well, but I, I, I think it's not necessarily the, the whole concept of this defense is that if you bring pressure from multiple spots, the sacks can come from other spots other than like where the pressure was coming from. Right. right. So like you come from anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. If you, if you, they will blitz linebackers in the a gap. And then when you have to account for that blitzer, it gets Aaron Donald in a one-on-one, you know what I mean? And then right. that results in, in a positive play for him. And, and then you start doubling Aaron Donald and then all of a sudden you've got Brockers in a one-on-one and that allows him to, so I don't know if we're necessarily going to see like production from where the pressure comes from all the time. Right. Uh, but the production's going to come from more of a, 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 a mass ability to create pressure. You know, like I, we're so, we got so used to watching the two, the, the, the fronts two gapping that we're not used to seeing those guy those interior guys get upfield. Just the pure fact of them getting upfield is going to create an easier job for the, your your edge guys, right? So Blitzing is going to be a bigger part of it. Uh, blitzing from multiple spots, a gaps, edges. We, Ryan said using the secondary guys. Up. Yes, we we've we've seen that. Um, I know we're not supposed to talk about that, but we've seen that already. Yes, um, we're not giving much away, right? I mean, that's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I I do expect more pressure just 
because the scheme changed. And then you add in blitzes and all those things. It's, it's going to create more opportunities. That's the whole concept. I, you have to hope that that's how it, 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 it plays out, right? For sure. All right. Thanks for the question, Daniel, as we get ready for training camp. Thank you. Um, no problem. Uh, let's bring in Dan from Daniel to our good friend, Dan. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing fine. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Dan, are you recovered from last weekend? <laughs> well, I wanted to start by saying congrats to Antonio and well played Italy. And I don't know if I can say that to Chris, in all honesty, but, <laughs> you know, it, 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 there's no doubt that we should have put the, the players we put on at the very end of that last period at the start of it and had, let them have 15 minutes to try and score a goal. So, but I'm really happy. I mean, three years ago, I was blind drunk after we got knocked out by Croatia in the uh, semifinals. So this is much better. <laughs> I like that. Slow so and steady improvement. And it came from last week. Um, and so I sort of looked into the rosters. I was thinking about safeties and I was thinking about, like, we've talked about cut down times and stuff like that and whether there was any teams that might have a glut that we could uh, raid and stuff. So it was really interesting. And I was going through all these figures and it, people show some data, less data. So Chicago Bears just said 18 DBs and that's it. The Lions had eight cornerbacks, two defensive backs, which was Tracy Walker and if I, if, Iffy, mm-hmm. and then eight safeties. So we were sort of in that range of the, you know, 16 to 18 is roughly what teams had. Uh, the Chargers had 14 for some reason, but I didn't have enough time to see if they were sort of getting other stuff from linebackers or defensive ends. But my question is, is twofold. And one fun fact I did find, there's only one team with five quarterbacks on their roster, and it's the Packers. Hmm. <laughs> Most teams have three, a bunch have four. Uh, Chicago has three like us. Obviously, they're happy with theirs, but I thought that was interesting. But my question for you is, do you think there could be a glut somewhere for safeties? Uh, I, I looked at the Rams, and I, I'm really sort of not sure how good they're going to be next year. But, but the, So my question is, if you think there's a glut of safety somewhere, and then the flip side is, who, would you, who are you scared of trying to sneak, onto the, uh, sneak through the waiver wire to our practice squad at the end of training camp? Ooh, I like that last one. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think uh, Eric might argue that there's already a, a, a glut of, of safeties that are still available, right? Yeah, I think there's a couple um, safeties out there that could definitely come in. Um, it's interesting when you look at like the, the Lions roster; they have so many safeties on the roster right now. The same reason they have so many tight ends is because they don't know what they're exactly going to do with them, right? Yeah. And, and and just like we've talked about it at tight end in the past and at safety in the past, like you could look to free agency. You may not even have to wait till cutdowns. You may there could be a poten- there's potential talent that's just sitting there in, in free agency that you could go after. So. Um, I'm going to be honest, Dan. I haven't looked at the different safety depth charts across the league, so I can't really pinpoint a team to to, to look at. Uh, I do. I can say though that it's so hard to find talent in the secondary that you don't often see quality guys cut. Even if they're fringe talent, they tend to stick around on NFL rosters just because they're so hard to, to acquire. So I don't know. I, I think they'd be very fortunate if they found someone uh, at, at cut downs in the secondary. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm game for adding somebody, whether it's cut downs, whether it's now, I, I, I think they need a, uh, an infusion of talent there. It's, it's, there's, there's an opportunity. I just, they're going to, I think my gut is that they're going to let things play out a little bit more, uh, get some pads on these guys. And then before they start making any big decisions and, th- and they still have, <laughs> they still have a one roster spot, which I'm, I'm curious what they end up doing with. But, uh, uh, Ryan, do you let, let's move to the second question there. Do you have a guy that, um, you're maybe concerned that the Lions are going to try to stash on the practice squad, but he might get stolen. Um, maybe, maybe I'm not so much concer- concerned about them moving a guy, you know, through the waivers and, and getting him onto the practice squad. But I, I think that there's a couple of candidates. Um, that, call me crazy, but do you think that there's any chance that that guy might be Jamar Jefferson? if the Lions end up using that last roster spot on a running back like Todd Gurley? Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the RB3 spot is still very much up for grabs. And, and I know Dedrick Mills and, and, and the gang, you know, didn't really do much during minicamp, but um, training camp's a lot longer. They're going to get more opportunities. They're going to get some preseason games. And, and then, yeah, like, I mean, we're, we're, I'm 
the 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 shadow of Todd Gurley still hangs over Allen Park while we wait to see what happens there. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Jamar Jefferson's spot on the fifty three is safe at all at this point. Yeah, that, that's really it's really the only name I can think of because when it comes to like somebody like Deshaun uh, Cornell, like because of the suspension he's going to face, like uh, I don't know. Well, 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 I mean, I guess he's he's even on the bubble just as is. Yeah, they don't even have to cut him. Uh, yeah. because he'll go on suspension so they they can right. just wait on him anyways um I, i'm a little more bullish on jefferson than you guys are i i think he's uh in a great spot uh i'm not worried about him and his roster i thought he looked better in camp than i expected but uh i'll give you a different guy and and, and that for me is uh david blau the Ooh. reason and it's not necessarily okay. that i'm like oh blau is like going to be the savior or anything but you only have three quarterbacks in camp right now. And if you expose Blau to the waiver wire, he's the, 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 we've seen teams try and poach him before. Sure. So if he gets poached, you now have two quarterbacks that know your system, and that's it. Yeah. So you'd have to be really aggressive in trying to get a former quarterback who understands your scheme to then bring them in and try and get them on the practice squad. You probably have to pay a little bit more for them. Uh, and then you've got to try and get them as up to speed as quick as possible. I'm all about keeping two quarterbacks on the 53, but I, that only works if you have a reserve uh, QB three that you don't think is going to get poached, but also understands the system that you can use in an emergency situation, I would hate to not have three people that know the scheme. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that might be a big reason why they end up carrying three instead of two, because I think you're right. Like not, not that David Blau is some like diamond in the rough that, that can be a starter in this league, but you there's precedent of, of, People wanting him on the team, whether it says, you know, clipboard holder or a, a guy that can come in and not lose a game for you. Um, I'm trying to think if I have an idea for for someone like I, I feel like you might have to stick with that secondary because there's so many guys that can contribute on special teams. But you can't carry five pure special teams guys. You can't carry, you know, T.J. Moore and, 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 and Bobby Price and, you know, I don't know, Jalen Elliott like um it, it seems like there's just kind of a limit, you know, Sean Amos, like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's not, none of those guys are guys that I'm just, I'm going to be super bummed if they lose out, lose out on. But like a lot of those guys are also really young and developmental and, and they can bring you um, that special teams contributions in the, in the meantime. So uh, I, I, they're definitely going to lose at least one or two of those guys. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what their decision is by the end of training camp. Thanks, guys. I think for myself, it was going to be uh, Sage Surratt. You know what I mean? I think he, he mm-hmm. wants to do cut blitz and stuff, but I, I don't know. <laughs> to Bolden, but <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. No problem, Dan. I, Thanks for the question. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, uh, but the Sage Surratt Sounds thing, like you do. It, it has me. <laughs> it, 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 I wrote my uh, the wide receiver article this week, uh, the training camp battle. And yeah. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by this, but the Sage Sharat love is like just <laughs> way up there. And then and, and this is not you. This is this is like every comment in the section, all the comments that I got on social media, like people are in love with this guy. And look, he played great in 2019 and then he sat out uh, 2020 but but uh, there are limitations to to his to his game that um scare me as far as transitioning to the nfl but like there's people that think he's going to be better than perryman and i'm not saying this is dan not at all i'm not not not, not at all but there are there are people that are like that i've talked to that have said oh yeah i expect cephas to start over perryman and then perryman is in the roster battle with sage Surratt. and i'm like what are you t-? look i've seen sage, I, I i told I, I i typed this to you in our chat the other day jeremy i've only seen sage Surratt do one thing at training camp and that's get his lunch money stolen by uh jeff akuda right that's it that's the only thing i've seen happen with sage Surratt so far now he has the talent but it just hasn't been there um I, I, I hope he does well, uh, but my goodness, does he have to turn it up and uh, we have to calm down on our love for, for UDFAs because, uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I feel bad because I feel like I'm calling Dan out. That's not at all. Because <laughs> it wasn't I, my username. It was someone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this is, a, this is just a universal thought. And we always fall in love with these guys, like, right? Like the, the Jay Lee. Jay Lee. The world, right? There you go. Yep. Um, 
uh, and and look, we hope I I I hope he does well. But my, my uh, we the 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 focus that we have on the receivers right now uh, as as a Lions community, I feel like it's way off. And uh, so I'm going to stop my rant on. I think so much. No problem. I think this is the year that Tom Kennedy breaks out. Personally, I think I think he's going to be the the best slot receiver. In the <laughs> he league. will have to be your guy, Victor Bolden. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, let's take another break here. When we come back, we're going to finish off our live Q&A here live on the Spotify Green Room app. Make sure you join us next week, Saturday mornings. Download the Spotify Green Room app. Follow Pride of Detroit. You might have to search my name, Jeremy Reisman, and, and join us. Ask us questions like these next people will when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back closing out this session of our Spotify Green Noom live Q&A Lions chat where we are just two weeks away from training camp. But let's jump back to the Lions here. We've got Benjamin waiting patiently. Benjamin, how you doing? Hey, Jeremy. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Hey, I first want to start by um, by thanking you all for the great podcast and the audio content you've generated over, over the past year. Just like everyone else, I've been stuck inside my house trying to think of ways to kill the hours of the day without actually seeing another human. And, and every time I, I uh, wake up and see a podcast lo- loaded up, I think, well, that's an hour I, I, I get to spend that will make me happy. So I appreciate that. Uh, no problem. Thanks for the, the compliment. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to ask a question about the, um, the, the TJ Hawkinson love fest that's been going on around sure. part of Detroit for the past couple of weeks. Um, I know we're all real excited about him. Top 10 pick pro bowl in the second season. I expected to go look at his advanced analytics and see just a superstar stud, but it's actually pretty disappointing. His, uh, his DVOA was negative 6.2, which is the 32nd ranked tight end in the league. Forget about hanging out in the neighborhood of the, the Kelsey's and the Kittles of the world. He's around Jimmy Graham and Chris Herndon instead. Mm. And you may think that, Oh, well, maybe just not that good on a per play basis. But when you force feed a guy 101 targets, he must've accumulated some value, but it's actually his yards above replacement is just seven. So he got you seven more yards <laughs> than the typical off the street tight end. And even more surprising here, if you look at the people ahead of him, one guy that jumps out like a sore thumb is his new teammate, Darren Fells, who somehow racked up a 38.6 DVOA. So I'm not even sure that Hawkinson is the best tight end on his team. So my question is, and let me see if I can channel my best 2020 Ryan Matthews here. I really, <laughs> I really hope he's a stud. I hope I'm wrong about this. But are we absolutely sure that T.G. Hawkinson doesn't secretly stink? And if he, <laughs> if he doesn't, why are these numbers so meh? Ryan, you know I've got to throw it to you first. I, I just, I just want, to do my, I want to do my best Bo Burnham inside impression where, come on in, Ben, the water's fine. We, we can enjoy <laughs> T.J. Hawkinson now. Um, here, here, here's the reason why I have optimism for T.J. Hawkinson is you see that jump from year one to year two. And and I, and I know that the, the numbers are where they're at, but when it came to that tight end room, it, the, it was TJ Hawkinson and that was it. Um, I, I think what Darren Fells was, he was a product of a guy who could ad lib in Houston. Um, and you, you could see that with Deshaun Watson and you could see that with Darren Fells. Now, the, 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 I guess the cause for concern is, will will Jared Goff be able to do the ad libbing after we were just kind of skeptical of him being able to extend plays and things like that? Um, you would hope that what they do with Hawkinson is that they just set him up for better patterns. Um, and that's something I think that we're all looking forward to when it comes to scheme and things like that. But I, I think that the, the numbers have been out there in terms of what Hawkinson does in terms of targeting his own tight ends. So he's going to be a focal point of this offense. So I think, Ben, what you can look forward to is you can look forward to having a having a decisive understanding of who TJ Hawkinson is as a player and his ceiling as to how he can be considered part of 
part of an offense as a whole, because I think you, you bring up a great point about, um, you know, Travis Kels and George Kittle, like those guys are the, the players that those offenses in San Francisco and, and Kansas city are kind of built around. Um, and and then, and then it, it all kind of, you know, stems out and bleeds out from there with, you know, Kansas city, they have the ability to, to burn you deep with Tyreek Hill and, you know, in, in San Francisco, they're they're a little bit more running based and things like that. But that's why Kittle fits in there so well is is as part of the running game. And I, I think the the last part is that that component with T.J. Hawkinson as being one of the more complete inline tight ends in the NFL is the stuff that's not going to show up in the box score under T.J. Hawkinson, but the stuff that's going to show up in the box score under you know DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams in terms of what Hawkinson can bring as a as a blocking tight end now. I know that doesn't get you excited about the number eight pick in the NFL draft, but I think I think this is the opportunity. This is the season where Hawkinson makes it or just becomes, you know, a good tight end. I, I, I mean, he made the Pro Bowl last year. <laughs> he made the Pro Bowl. He had 67 catches. That was like third in the league. And, and if you're wondering if he's better than Darren Fells, well, you can just ask Darren Fells. Like Darren Fells said, we've, I've had this conversation with him already. If we're both on the field, I'll be the extra lineman to get him open so that he can get his touchdowns up to 12. Like that's a quote from Darren Fells. Darren Fells even recognizes that, that Hawkinson is the guy, right? And when you watch him play – I, I, I think the key here is what Ryan alluded to is that the offense has never run through Hawkinson. It's it's he's always kind of been like a second or a third piece, option. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. right. Like the the last system was designed to go to receivers, and then Hawkinson was like the fail the the the, the safety valve, right? And and Stafford, if you look at Stafford's his, history, he doesn't typically go after and favor tight ends that often. It's just kind of like his when he was when he had Ebron, like he just never he never featured Ebron. Now maybe that was because he you know drop he had those drops and whatnot. But um, <laughs> it's, I like how he, Eric tried to hide that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's it's never uh, the, the tight end has never been a focal point for Matthew Stafford. That's just the way it is, and so they don't they the, des- the offense was never designed like that. Now I, I believe that this offense is going to feature Hawkinson. It's going to look to promote him in a situation that is similar to what you see in, in Kansas city and in San Francisco. And I think based on what we've seen in, in camp, um, him and golf have really highlighted a, a, a focus between the two of them where they've tried to feature him. We know they, it's, it, it sure seems like he was going, uh, when, when they were doing seven on sevens, golf was going to Hawkinson as much as he was going to anybody else, if not probably considerably more. Um, like if he, in the grand scheme of things, like he, he was throwing to tight ends as much as he was throwing to receivers. And most of the time that tight end was Hawkinson. Right. So, um, I am all on board for uh, Hawkinson being able to be the feature guy. And, uh, you know, it's I think things will change from a statistical standpoint when the offense starts to run through him and you add in all these other elements that are going to take pressure uh, away from him as well. So uh, I'm expecting everything to just bump up uh, for Hawkinson. But but to Benjamin's point here, we haven't seen. Hawkinson capable of doing that yet, right? Like we've only seen it in practice. We've never seen him be the guy before, you know, the, the main target. I mean, in the, in the previous two years, he, he wasn't kind of that down the seam tight end that that's going to pick you up 20 yards at a chunk. He's more like kind of the drop off option. And, and yes, he did get a hundred plus targets last year, but I feel like that was more, like you said, like they weren't designing plays for him as much. It was more just like, oh, well, we don't have Kenny Galladay for 12 games here. What are we going to do? Um, yeah, Marv was the number one option last year. Right, like, and right. there was no – and in all honesty, a lot of times they were looking to number two before they were – the number two receiver before they were even looking yeah. uh, Hawkinson's way. And and so it's it's going to be a much different uh, opportunity when you are the the guy that's being having routes designed for you as opposed right. to being the third option in, in, in a route. Right. And and I, I guess that's what I'm what I'm saying though. Like last year, last year was almost just like, well, 
he he caught a bunch of passes because he had a bunch of targets and and that's not to to minimize his ability to get open or or you know have strong hands or anything like that but like big plays i'm looking at 20 plus plays he had six of them Quintus Cephas had more than that. He had Quintus Cephas had seven. Um, I, I do think that's possible and and likely to change this year. The problem is we we just have to see it yet. And so yeah, I think I think to Benjamin's point, there is a level of TJ Hawkinson's game that we haven't seen yet. And I think a lot of us are just assuming is going to happen. I'm I'm one of them. I do think it's going to happen. I do think based on everything I saw at camp, based on kind of the raw talent that TJ Hawkinson has uh, in terms of, you know, strong physical game, catch at the catch point, all that sort of stuff. Um, he's capable of doing it. We just have to see it come together. And I think that's why statistically, especially in those advanced statistics, you aren't seeing him line up with, with top, some of those top five guys. But I, I think it's coming. Look, if, if I'm sorry, Ryan. I just want, I want to get this sure. real fast. If we look at things that worked in practice, but then we never saw them in a game, the list is endless, right? <laughs> it was from, from how they used to buy to how they didn't, how they stopped using fullbacks on the goal line to like the, the Hawkinson dominated in the red zone. And then they just didn't look his way. Like they were like, "Oh, let's throw it up to, to you know Danny Amendola in a, in, a, in, a, in a fade route instead of trying to use the six five Hawkins." Like, there's so many things that we saw work in practice that we never saw in the game. Well, hopefully now this coaching staff will put these players in place, like we talked about at the at the top. No, you're you're fine. That's it's a great point. And 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 to that point, like just some stats to contextualize these things, and I think to go to the overall point that we're making. You know, as as Eric said, Marvin Jones was the de facto number one receiver last year. But I truly think that if Kenny Galladay doesn't get hurt, obviously some of those targets from Jones goes to Galladay. But I mean, Danny Amendola has 69 targets. Uh, is, is it wild to think that TJ Hawkinson might have ended up as like the fourth most targeted, you know, skill position player on the team? If if, if Kenny Galladay stays healthy, I, I just think that that's how that team was built. And then, uh, and I think that going forward, I mean, I'm not trying to be too big brained here, but like the head coach is Dan Campbell, who was the <laughs> tight ends coach in New Orleans and was a former tight end himself. Like, if there's going to be someone to kind of like unlock his potential and also be like, yeah, that's our guy, like, he just fits the mentality that I think Dan Campbell wants for this football team to have. So I can see him being the feature guy. If you look at how the Chargers utilized Hunter Henry last year, he was the second most targeted player on the on the on the Chargers roster last year. Um, Hawkinson would have, was fourth in the line in, in Detroit, and just that opportunity to 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 move up the pecking order and, and priority should. Uh... All right, long TJ Hawkinson conversation love it uh thanks for the question benjamin uh we are running low on time here so we're going to try to get through these last four as quick as possible uh anthony anthony's online how's it going anthony are you there anthony anthony going once. there we go oh there we go how's it go bud can you hear me yep all right um so a draft class is typically considered successful if like 50% of the players hit. Using the 2021 draft class, which which 50% are the most important to hit? But please don't just do the first, you know, first three players. Those are obvious. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, yeah, let, let's talk about the, the draft class and who we expect to or who I guess needs to, to really contribute um, and become full, full-time contributors. Um, let, let's go to you first, Ryan. Yeah, Panay Sewell, obviously. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Number one with a bullet. Like, he, yep. is, he is the most critical. I mean, I, I, I think I'm pretty safe in saying that, like, he's the most critical piece that the Lions will probably draft in the next, like, aside from being a quarterback, like, Panay Sewell is going to be one <laughs> of the most important picks for Brad Holmes. Um but uh, you know, I, I think I think another really important one, and, and this might this might uh, this might get Jeremy going. But Melifonwu as mm. as a cornerback, like I think that what he's going to be able to bring long term, because who knows how long Quentin Dunbar is going to to you know stick around in Detroit, and with Quentin Dunbar kind of being the the mold or the model 
for what they want out of their cornerbacks. I think, you know, with the draft video of seeing how excited they were about getting uh, Melifonwu to just understanding contextually, like, where he belongs um, in this defensive backfield, I, I think that there's there's an opportunity for him to be a, a really successful corner. And I, th- I think it's going to be really important long-term um, that he ends up hitting uh, just because of a draft slot. Um, and then also, like I said, that, that opportunity for him to play, um, and potentially, you know, end up playing on top, uh, or, or, you know, kind of like superseding, uh, somebody like Amani or Arie. I'll take a different, slightly different approach here. And I'll say the guys, the top three that rookies that I think have to hit this year in order for this year's team to, to be successful are Sewell's number one. St. Brown is number two, and I'll say Eileen McNeil is number three, uh, just because that nose is such a vital piece in um, in what they want to do. And even if he's only on the field and they're using that nose like a quarter of the time, that's still 25 percent of yeah. the time that, that they're going to need that position to hit. Like if if uh, if Onzrique isn't playing well, well, you've got other options. You've got other you got Deshaun Hands and Nick Williams that are sitting there who could maybe pick up the slack. You don't have another Aleem McNeil. And I know John Penasini fans are out there saying, wait, wait. But look, McNeil is the is the guy on the rookie on defense that really needs to come out of the gate on fire. You guys kind of nailed all of them, um, but I, I, I would actually put Derek Barnes on my list as well. And it doesn't have to be this year because I don't think it's going to be this year. But this is a guy that they traded up to get. This is a guy that they viewed as an important piece uh, to this team's future. And we know that that the Lions' current set of linebackers don't really fit the mold of, of what this team is going to be or wants to be on defense, especially in the future. I mean, they, they don't have a guy you know, signed through 2022 or 2023 that, that fits what they're trying to do. Derek Barnes is that guy. And I think he's a guy that could have a pretty high ceiling if, you know, he learns the position. I know he's, he's still fairly new to the off-ball linebacker thing. But if, if they don't hit on him, then there is no plan at, at future in terms of off-ball linebackers. So he's one of the four that I think needs to hit. Um, uh, if not, you know, in 2022, then, then beyond that. So there you go, Anthony. Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> except, Everyone. Except, Every- except Jamar Jefferson. For, for, for Jamar Jefferson. <laughs> thanks, All right. Thanks, thanks for the question, Anthony. All right. Let's move to Michael. Michael, how you doing? Hey, guys. Um, thanks for getting me back in here. Yeah. One thing that I'm excited about looking at our roster is that I know we don't have a lot of wide receivers, but I'm looking forward to controlling the defense's makeup by using two tight ends and two running backs. Always split Hawk out wide. We know Fells can catch the ball. We can put a running back into the slot. And we know that Fells and Hawk can both block. So we can start off heavy, use motion crazy, and get guys out wide and just control things. Um, is that a viable option, do you think, compared to uh, trying to trot out you know, Perryman and all the other guys that we're not quite sure about? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think I think that's that's what we should come out and see a lot of more, certainly more so than other teams, and and maybe that's where um, people draw the comparisons to to the Forty ers like we did before is just a lot of heavy personnel um, that, that involves a lot of play action, right? Uh, that's something that Jared Goff had showed he was really good at early in his career with the Rams, and I do think the Lions' personnel fits that. I do think they like Darren Fells a lot in terms of a blocker. Um, I think that position was was of high priority, which is why they went out and got Josh Hill. And when that fell through, they they immediately filled that position. So I do think we're going to see a lot of two tight end sets. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of play action, a lot of trying to control the line of scrimmage and and run the ball a lot. And I think it fits, you know, the the strength of the personnel where, you know, their wide receivers probably aren't their, their strongest suit. So, I mean, they'll, they'll still spread them wide. They'll still have a lot of three, three wide receiver sets, but I like like Ryan was saying earlier in the show. I think we're going to see you know a lot of two tight end sets comparative to the rest of the NFL. Uh, you know they as much as we talk about the fact that they've kind of like you know patchworked this offense together, they have created players at all these different skill sets, and so they can go four wide 
receivers. They can go two tight ends. They can go three tight ends. They can do double running backs. They can, they have a whole variety of things. You you play a team that's uh, you know struggles against a, uh, a you know a hiccup slot receiver. Well, you got one of those guys. You struggle with a, a deep threat on the a speed guy on the outside. Well, they got one of those. You know you struggle with tight ends. Uh, you know, multiple tight ends struggle against. Running, I, they have a variety of of players. Now there's not a whole lot of depth, which is really why I think we're still a bit trepidatious about this, but they have a, a, a plethora of, of different skill sets on the roster. And so that I think a, a lot of doors are open from that for them. A, uh, a Ryan Matthews, not so bold prediction coming in right now. Um, mm-hmm. Darren fells more receptions than Brashad Perryman this year. Whoa, that's, that is a bull. That, no, that is, that is unconventional Ryan Matthews Boulder right there. <laughs> Do you really I'm think so? Right. I think that's very bold, yes. Oh, wow. You know what? I'm, yeah, well, I then I'll, I'll double down on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. what, what? I, well, well, real quick, Michael, what, what I'm saying is, I guess to your point, is I think that the Lions are going to gravitate towards, you know, ke- keeping those running backs in, keeping those tight ends in. I, I mean, I, I, I would be, I'd be surprised if I ever see the Lions go four wide receivers. I, I truly would. I, I think three wide receivers is like going to be like the most that we see on the field at one time, unless they're in like a you know a very specific situation. All right, I love I love the varied answers. Thanks for thanks for the question again, Mike. Appreciate you. Uh, I think we're going to have to call it there. Looks like. Uh, Sorry about those last two callers. Um, if you if you do want to join us again, we will be live next week. Um, but thank you to everyone who did join us this week. A lot of great questions, a lot of good discussion. Again, because you guys are the best fandom out there in the NFL. Um, and like I said, if you want to join us next week, Saturday mornings live on the lock. On, oh no, I almost got through a whole show with call it without calling it the locker room app. It's the Spotify Green Room app now. Download it on your iOS or Android devices. Make sure you're following at Pride of Detroit. Um, search Jeremy Reisman for that. And then join us Saturday mornings for these awesome live Lions Q&As. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you guys next week. It's chaos. Be kind. Be kind.